Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good afternoon, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, today on the show, we'll discuss the new 4473 form being enforced by the ATF. That's right. On January 16, 2017, <laughs> Uh, when Edwin Walker, principal attorney for a Texas U.S. law show, gets on the phone here, we're going to break that sucker all the way down for you. And the most notable changes is the federal government shoving their nose into the state's business and your natural rights to self-preservation. Now, Section A, Question 11E of this form will outline the, you know, just the slew of prohibited individuals from purchasing a firearm will be those who use marijuana, including for medicinal purposes. And boy, this really ticks me off here. All right, check this out. And it, I can tell you, as someone who has known multiple people who have felt the incredible impact that medical marijuana has had on the most burdening of diseases and mental disorders, these are people who need their rights protected just like everyone else. Now, people are being treated like second-class citizens, like children who can't conduct themselves, or like slaves who are too much a liability when allowed to own firearms. Marijuana is still set as a class one narcotic, meaning it has no accepted medical use at all, and it's rated higher than cocaine and methamphetamines, and higher than the antidepressants and pain pills like Xanax and Oxycontin that our fellow citizens who are ignorant of their options are still being prescribed despite their hysterical drawbacks. Now, a lot of individuals on the right may take issue with the, quote, normalization of the drugs and drug culture. And I'm speaking to them specifically. This isn't about tripping out on acid or getting high. It's the same as the Second Amendment issue. It's about your natural rights. Now, also, we have in studio Adam Raposa. He's the Austin attorney and DWI king. And attorney Raposa was considering running for district house seat 46. But it seems things have changed because state representative Donna Dukes, the Democrat in Austin, will apparently not step down as previously reported last year prior to the general election. 
Now, according to Travis County District Attorney Margaret Moore, who was newly sworn into office this week, she said that a lawyer representing Representative Dukes has called to inform D.A. Moore of Representative Dukes' decision to not step down. Now, the Travis County D.A. said she was already scheduled to meet Tuesday with Texas Rangers investigating Representative Dukes for possible ethics violations and would proceed with that meeting and then decide whether to go before a grand jury and seek an indictment of Representative Dukes. Now, the decision to not step down did not come on the advice of of Representative Dukes' attorney, Michael Heiskell, who had been representing her. According to Attorney Heiskell, that was not his advice to her. Heiskell says Dukes had not consulted with him before reversing her decision to step down. Well, apparently, uh, Attorney Heiskell is not Representative Dukes' attorney at all. So the attorney said he had been contacted earlier in the week by a Houston attorney, a Dan Ball, who said he was looking into the matter at Representative Dukes' request. Now, Heiskell said it had been his hope that if Dukes had stepped down, the Travis County District Attorney would not have sought an indictment. But all that's been scuffled now if what I'm hearing is true, according to attorney, a high school who was Representative Dukes uh, representing her earlier. Now also, let's talk about multiple sales transactions today. Now the Gun Control Act, which was written back in 1968, uh, it requires federal firearms licensees, that's FFLs, to report multiple sales or other dispositions of handguns to the same purchaser. Okay, so what we're talking about there is if you purchase two or more handguns or two or more long guns in a five-day period, then that FFL, that Federal Firearms Licensed Dealer, that gun store, has got to report that to the ATF and also to your local sheriff your chief law enforcement officer. So let's break that down. So basically, the sale or disposition of two or more handguns must be reported if they occur at the same time within five consecutive business days of each other. So back in August of 2011, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives, the ATF, was authorized by the Office of Management and Budget to initiate similar reporting requirements on the multiple sale or other disposition of certain rifles from licensed firearms dealers in the four border states of Arizona, California, New Mexico, and Texas. So in November of 2014, it was submitted for renewal without change and approved by the Office of Management and Budget. The expiration date of that is November 13, I'm sorry, November 30th of 2017. So we have until a few months into this year, uh, well, the end of this year here, to see about getting that change. The reporting requirement mandate that all federally licensed firearms dealers and pawnbrokers in Arizona, California, New Mexico, and Texas must submit to the ATF reports of multiple sales or other dispositions of certain rifles to unlicensed individuals when two or more particular kinds of rifles are transferred at the same time or within five consecutive business days of each other. The types of rifles that must be reported are those with the following characteristics. So uh, one, a semi-automatic, 
a caliber greater than a 22, including a 223 and 5.56, and the ability to accept detachable magazines. Now, the ATF has long used multiple sales information to detect and investigate and prevent firearms trafficking. ATF views the recovery of one or more firearms used in crimes that were part of a multiple purchase as an indicator of firearms trafficking. Now, particularly if one of the firearms was recovered a short time after the multiple sale occurred, known as short time to crime. Not only is this information reported to the ATF via the National Tracing Center, the information is shared with the FBI and, yes, your local sheriff. So when you're pulled over, your county sheriff has that make, model, serial number of your guns, just the handguns, not the long guns, because the long guns are not required to be shared with the chief law enforcement officer. Now, the weird thing about this decision is if you are a manufacturer, you're not required to report loan guns. For instance, at Central Texas Gunworks, we are a Type 07 FFL, which is a manufacturer, so we are not required to report multiple sales of loan guns. Also, when reporting multiple sales, strip law receivers or complete law receivers are not required to be reported, only complete AR rifles. The ATF has also doubled down so on states that decriminalize. So just be aware of this. Watch out for it. And just remember this past like holiday season. So when you went to that gun store and you purchase uh, two handguns, maybe for your loved one, maybe one for you, you got those matching guns. Guess what? That information was reported to the, the NIC system, to the FBI. Uh, the make, model, serial number of that gun, everything about you, everything you filled out on that form. Um, and then also it was shared with your chief law enforcement officer in your county. So when you're pulled over, they have that information. That's two handguns or more in a five-day period. So just so you know. Today we're going to talk about doubling down, decriminalize, legalize marijuana. You're banned from buying a gun. We're going to talk about that. We're going to explain that new 4473. We're going to break that down. Your guns are being registered in Texas without your knowledge. Find out about the secret gun registry that is happening in Texas. Your county sheriff has a list of your guns, including make, model, and serial number, if you purchase two or more handguns in a five-day period this past holiday season. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Maj Touré. You're listening to Come and Talk at Radio with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back in the studio, and we're talking about the changes on the new 4473. Okay, and we also have Adam Raposa in the studio, and Adam was going to run for uh, state representative uh, District 46 against Representative Donna Dukes, and so now Representative Donna Dukes is actually backed out of that race. So before we get into um, breaking down this 4473, and before we get into talking about multiple sales transactions, uh, that gun registry here, if you're bordering a 
if you're bordering Mexico or any uh, foreign state, or really Mexico, you know, if you're in, in the southern states there that actually border Mexico, your guns are being reported, just so you know, to the FBI and also to your county sheriff. So when they pull you over, they actually have a list of all those guns if you purchase two or more in a five-day period. And that's going to be the, the handguns. But the long guns are not supposed to be reported to the sheriff, just the two or more handguns. But let me bring Adam Raposa uh, to the mic here. Adam, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Thanks, Michael. All right. So, uh, man, so she now she's like flip-flopping. You know, Representative Dukes has stepped out. And so, you know, what do you think about that? Well, it's interesting. Um, my read, obviously, is Margaret Moore must have changed the conversation. I mean, there was a plan. It was announced publicly. Uh, the plan was to step down. And um, I believe it was Greg Cox, but some representative of the district attorney said that if she stepped down, that would be considered. And that's why I think numerous people um, announced that they were running because everyone assumed that that was the plan that was in place. It certainly appears, although I have no way to confirm this, but it's the only thing that really makes sense is that Margaret Moore changed that plan. She's obviously announced she intends to meet with the Rangers, which if she didn't intend on ever indicting her would be unnecessary. Um, So clearly Margaret Moore has left it open whether she might in fact indict Ms. Dukes. And I guess Ms. Dukes is saying, well, if I'm going to get indicted, that I'm not going to step down and I'm going to maintain that everything that I did was proper. And that's the only deciding factor in this is we have a new DA in Travis County. Correct. So she is. And, and the fact that she actually uh, made a statement to the to the press about this, meaning that, you know, without someone asking about it, she is, you know, she's done something. Well, I mean, this is it, a, this is a Democratic Party trick here. If. And that's what I'm wondering, because I'm not privy, but it, it looks bad if you're the DA. and uh, The fix is in. That's what it, <laughs> The fix is in. It looks like, buddy, we're just going to give you a pass. Right. And that is not how I think Margaret Moore wants to start her tenure. I mean, I really don't know. I can't speak for her, but uh, I know that I certainly had no problem saying that how do you have a Democratic Party and a Democratic DA and a Democratic representative all agree, okay, we're just going to get elected and step down on the first day and intentionally leave the district without a representative. That is not proper. That is not the way politics is supposed to work. Yeah, and it's really sad because uh, all she has to do, she she really didn't campaign at all and didn't put up any signs whatsoever. And she just put her name on the ballot and uh, people just elect her into office because she's a D. Well, you know, there um, is a, a very nice lady, uh, Kat Gruna, who uh, is working at the Capitol right now to try to get rid of straight ticket uh, balloting uh, for that exact reason, is is you have people that just vote D, and then you get things uh, like this. Mm. That's, that's crazy. And it, it hurts, like, um, I know Justin, who's, you know, always, you know, we're always concerned about... You know, getting some of these bad people out of there, these useless people out of office. You know, this actually ah. is it's crazy because uh, that that's a seat that, you know, could be held by someone that actually, you know, could help with the things that we're trying to get done here in the legislature. Well, I mean, as much money as the Democrat Party puts into 
uh, pushing their candidates in these these liberal areas of Texas, though. I mean, it would probably end up being another Democrat either way. Right. But uh, so, so the good, the good chess piece would be to have someone run as a Democrat against her during the primary. That's a that's certainly a possibility. But like I say, yeah, you've you've experienced it running yourself. Right. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, because they've got you know in these areas they've got large mailing lists. They've got they've got all the contact information and they need in order to get elected. When they see you as a threat, then they're actually going to you know launch that attack against you. The entire party will get behind that candidate before the before the primary is even over. Which, right. as you know, the Republican Party doesn't typically work like that. They wait till after the primary before the party steps in and starts helping candidates. Whereas the Democrat Party does not typically work like that. They pick and, and choose, and they they throw the weight of the party behind the candidate. Mm. Which you've seen it. Right. 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 So. Now, now, Adam, they call you the DWI King. Why is that? Well, that's uh, funny you should ask. And, and really, <laughs> um, it uh, it goes nicely with what you were just saying. I changed my name to King Blackwell Raposa uh, because I had the phone number 512-DWI-KING. And the state bar says you can't have that phone number. And I'm you know, not certain why Jamie Belasia can be the DWI dude. But I can't be the DWI king, so I gave them my actual case history because it's available online at uh, the Travis County Clerk. And you can actually look up any lawyer in Travis County who's been on criminal cases, all the cases they've handled. From that data, you can synthesize what you might call a dismissal rate or a conviction rate, put either way, and that mine is actually better than pretty much any lawyer I know. I can't find a lawyer who uh, gets the same kind of results, but the state bar said that fact did not matter. The only way to claim superior services in the state of Texas, according to the state bar, is to be recognized by a lawyer recognition group like Texas Super Lawyers or Who's Who. Now, if you've seen any of my performance art pieces, you know that I will never be (laughs) recognized by any lawyer recognition group. So in order to just win, I changed my name to King so that I can be 512 DWI King. Okay. And you also represented uh, the, some of the motorcycle guys um, in Waco. After that little fiasco. And that's still a mess even today. Well, you know, it's a real split between the lawyers because I still follow it and I'm very interested. And a lot of people are talking about what happened on that day. But the real interesting question that people need to be asking is what did the government do before that day? Because they spent several months preparing for what I believe was a operation, which is part of a larger campaign. I believe that the federal government likes to be able to classify criminal organizations and street gangs. It gives them a lot of power. It allows them a certain amount of leverage. And here, they posted up around the perimeter, waited for what they knew, and I think a lot of people didn't know was coming, and then just started firing. And um, it was a pretty amazing moment because... You had a, probably 140 people who had no idea what was going on and 20 law enforcement who did, and they did nothing to try to prevent it. They just posted up on the perimeter and waited for it to start and then saw how quickly they could execute and really just managed an operation there from, including media and 
the uh, ensuing legal battle. And so far, you know, as someone who's just on the outside calling the balls and strikes, they're whooping ass. I mean, the government is doing a great job of getting away with whatever they want to in Waco. You know, they've pretty much subverted the requirements of the law as far as charging someone with engaging. Right. It's a conspiracy. You actually have to abet the conspiracy, not just be sitting there. Right. Right. Well, they've gotten rid of that requirement. Just sitting there now is enough. So if you just sit there next to bikers, that's enough to be charged now. And that's the message that the government is sending loud and clear. And they're getting away with it. And so, so are they are they considering them, considering them members of street gang gang members? Yes. Well, the thing is, that's what's interesting is that as far as the because sem- that's pretty serious. Because when you do that, you lose you know you lose whatever gun rights you have as well. Because mm-hmm. if you're considered a member of a street gang, that means that you can't even be in possession of a handgun, uh, a, a knife, or a club. That is exactly the issue, Michael. And no one really has talked about that. That it violates separation of powers. That law enforcement. Part of the executive branch, not the legislative branch, the executive branch, they get to decide who and who isn't a street gang now. It hasn't always been that way. And that's a power that they have given themselves and that nobody is going to try to take away from them. So that's why this litigation is very interesting. And I'm watching it very closely because that's exactly right. In their probable cause affidavit, they say DPS recognizes the banditos as a criminal street gang. Mm. And you're right. That does seriously that, impact. That, yeah, that's that's a serious thing because if you're if you're in any motorcycle group and they consider you a gang, then that's it. You're done. Uh, you cannot, you know, you can't have a handgun in your vehicle. That means that motorcycle. You can't have a handgun on that motorcycle. You can't have an illegal knife on that motorcycle, and you can't can't have a club on that motorcycle. And that's why the work that you're doing is so important, Michael. Because regardless of political uh, party affiliation, this is something that affects all of us. They take away your ability to possess firearms any way, at least in my opinion, they can. It appears that the idea is is that law enforcement and just a couple other people get to have guns is the idea moving forward. And I certainly like any impediment to that progress. That's crazy. Now, uh, Montana, you were asking about the uh, the 4473. What were your concerns about, you know, the form? Well, I was more concerned on what are they changing? Did they add more questions or did they just change the wording on things? Well, what they do? Well, uh, there's there's a bunch, actually, that they're changing, a bunch of little stuff. But the major stuff um, is that, you know, just that question 11E. There's, there, there's one thing they're changing as far as like the sex. It used to be called gender, but now it's sex. So it's male or female, and, and that block is named sex. They don't have a T? Come on, man. They don't have a T? Or I, other? You just, get, you just get male or female. That's all you get. Well, what if you don't identify as either? Yeah, you identify, you're, you're, you're going to neither. Identify. Well, <laughs> well, hey, you know, <laughs> you, you're going to do that. And Ed, Well, we're going to ask Edwin that when he gets on the, you know. What if you don't want to check that box? You have to. So That's yeah. sexist. Yeah, you actually you gotta have to do, check it. You got to do one, two, three, four. You got to you got to get all the way down there. And then the the next thing is a ten A ten B where you got to you have to fill that out before people would go back and forth. Well, ten A says, are you Hispanic or Latino, or are you not Hispanic or Latino? So you got to pick one. So you're either Hispanic or Latino first. Even you, you got to answer that question. Are you Hispanic or Latino or not Hispanic or Latino? Nope. <laughs> Which one? So, you, nope. so you're no, okay? And then you got to go to 10B. 10B says, okay, well, now that we know that you're Hispanic or Latino or you're not Hispanic or Latino, then are you American Indian? Are you Asian? Are you black African American? Are you Native Hawaiian? Are you white? So you got to answer one of those questions. Why can't I be a white American? Uh, 
no, that's not a that's that's not one. You're well, either American you have Indian. Have all the other options. You're you're either American Indian. You're Black or African American. You're Native Hawaiian. You're Asian or you're white. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, when I used to sell firearms on that list, those two questions messed everybody up because they just skip right over the the Hispanic or not Hispanic and Latino box. And, and they say, I've, I've already answered that question. And I'm like, no, you got to go back. There's yeah. A and B. So I always had to break it down. Like, look, there's A, you have to answer this one, and you have to answer B. <laughs> yeah. You can't skip it. And what kills me about this is people always call you and they say, well, um, I need to know if I'm able to actually buy a gun. What do you mean? Uh, well, I just need to find out first if I can buy one before I come into the store. Well, have you ever been arrested? I mean, you would know that question better than me. It's really simple. Have you ever been arrested? And they're like, um, yeah. Well, was it a felony? No. Okay. Uh, were you, have you ever been convicted, convicted of uh, domestic violence? I'm like, no. I said, okay, then. Then what's the problem? Uh, were you ever you know, disarmably discharged from the military? No. Okay. Well, then you can buy a gun. Yeah, uh, it's really not that. Too. Yeah, it's really not that difficult. I've had people go, "Can you do the background check and then I get to buy a gun?" I'm like, "No, no for can't. whatever reason, you got to fill this thing out. I got to ask Nick's or the." And gun stores just yeah. can't run the background check just to run a background check. You have to have in, you have have to be you know walk into that gun store and really want to purchase that gun. But you know when we get Edwin on the phone, Edwin's going to break all that down for us a little better. Uh, but Janai. <laughs> Yeah. Hello. <laughs> how are you doing, Janai? I'm doing great. All right. So how was your week? How was your uh, New Year's? It was great. We went to Panama and spent uh, that period in Panama. Nice. So, so how was Panama? Was it, it was nice and warm. It was nice and warm, yes. 70 degrees? Uh, 75. 75? 80, yeah. You got a tan? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but we went to the Panama Canal. Oh, nice. Did some other stuff, yeah. See, last time I was in Panama, I was in the military, and that was when we were chasing Noega. And so we were down there running around trying oh, to find yeah. Noega, and he was, you know, trapped. He was actually in, in a church. <laughs> so that was last time I've been to Panama. Yeah, and I'm sure it wasn't. It, it doesn't look as it, the same as it did when I was there. And then you were you were just out of out of town this past weekend too, right? No, just to Panama. Yeah, we just went to Panama. Nice. All right. And uh, we haven't seen David in a while. David. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to, David? Oh man, I was. Been busy, you know, birthday, then Thanksgiving, then I got this respiratory thing going around, this lung issue is a virus or something. It knocked me down for a couple of weeks, and then Christmas. Mono? I think it's mono. No, 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 man. Yeah, it mono. ain't no mono. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Other know. than that, man, just living life, you know. Doing the same old, same old. Right, so you back you're back to normal now, back to, yeah, yeah up to speed. I need to start voicing this stuff for Lone Star Gun Rights, but Justin hadn't contacted me. Again. What stuff is that? Well, I was supposed to start doing some stuff with you know Lone Star Gun Rights. Oh, uh, we're gonna get into it. We're trying to during legislative session. We're gonna start putting out uh, live Facebook feeds, and uh, we're gonna basically just start start doing that on there. So the it's coming. We just haven't done it's it yet. Be a lot of fun. Yeah. Anything we can do to keep people people informed <laughs> yep. about what's coming up for this session and, and what's planned? Because I know we're we're trying to do uh, some educational stuff to you, right, Justin? Yes, uh, we haven't set a date to it, but obviously, me and you have talked about getting getting an event together to where we can train people on how to testify on these bills, and so people are a little less nervous about going to the Capitol and, and trying to figure out how you know what it is they need to do in order to make a difference. So. Yeah, we can definitely put some stuff together to, uh, to start training some people. Because a lot of people, when we sit in class, 
and you start going over the different laws and everything and people are like well, why is this that way and why is this this way and i said well because you don't talk to your legislature <laughs> because you weren't at the capitol when they were making the bills <laughs> yeah. that's why yeah because you don't get involved and and say something and i'm telling you this stuff is coming up now it's january the 10th session starts and it goes from january to june and there's going to be a lot of bills that are going to be thrown out there that you're not going to like. And you need to step up to the plate and say, hey, I don't like this. We need to um, this needs to be defeated or it, it does not need to pass or anything. Um, there are other things that that people are trying to get past, like constitutional carry. And that stuff is not going to happen unless unless you show you want it. <laughs> exactly. It's not going to happen. At the end of the day, legislators need to understand that this is a this is a particular issue that will cost them the election next time. If, you, if if it's going to pass, because it's not going to pass without people blowing up their phones, without blowing up their emails, without us dropping petitions off, without us keeping people updated. And it, it's not going to happen without any of that. And keep it polite if you do. Don't get rude. Keep it polite, people. Yeah, because it's just an excuse. It's just it's a distraction and excuse that people will use as to why something did not happen or did. Well, not that being that. said, you, you can also be polite. Uh, but you can be p- polite while while also letting them know that you will be block walking their district next primary season. Oh, yeah, that's not rude. I'm just not at all. Go, don't yeah. go cussing them out, and if you don't, you know, don't threaten them. Just be very firm. That won't change their mind. But if you yeah. tell them that you're going to block walk their district and you're gonna you're gonna actively work against them to make sure they do not get elected that next works. session, that works. <laughs> that works like a charm. All right, so. All right, so we're going to talk about that. When we come back from the break, we're going to have Edwin Walker, the principal U.S. And I Texas got something and to ask you What's when that? we get back. What's that? About, uh, about a Florida incident. A f- and, photo? And how, a Florida incident and how I think laws could be changing. Oh. Yeah, when we get back, we're going to talk about that. That's uh-huh. right. That shooting in Fort Lauderdale at the Fort Lauderdale airport. Yep. Yeah, I already know. Uh, there's an issue that people aren't even bringing up. It's going to be the ammunition. Is that what you're asking about? Well. I think they're going to ban it outright, traveling with your firearm. You I don't think so? you'll be able to check your your firearm anymore no. because that's what he did. He checked it. He didn't take anything but his gun. He went to baggage claim, got his gun, went to the bathroom, loaded up, went back out. And, and see, that should have been everybody. like a big, huge red flag. And You're traveling from, where do you go from? Alaska? Alaska. Anchorage, Alaska. Alaska to, to Fort Florida. Lauderdale, Florida. With nothing. With nothing. And nothing. you're not traveling with anything. Yeah. yeah. And, and, that should have been like, huh, So that's kind of why right. I see like, hey, there could be some sort of crazy BS presidential executive order crap coming down the line saying, hey, you're not going to be able to travel with your firearm anymore because now you can actually get it at baggage claim and go on a shooting spree like this moron because he did everything right i mean he, he checked it in like you're supposed to make sure that where you're starting right, out from got it at the last minute where he could legally get it and then unload it on everybody and see, what scares me is i do that same thing like when i travel I, I go back and forth to atlanta and when i like if i get to atlanta you know i'm traveling with my gun yeah. i actually go into the restroom i load it up i and i put it on me before i come out of the airport you know at, at, after baggage claim i actually do that so i was yeah. like man crap well, enjoy are they gonna start watching me in the restroom now <laughs> you never know that's why i said when we get back from break we should talk about that a little bit especially with edwin because what kind of repercussions are going to be here? And also, Adam, here, we got two lawyers, so it's even better. All right. So the ATF has doubled down on states that decriminalize or legalize marijuana. You are banned from buying a gun. We will explain the new 4473, which goes into effect January 16, 2017. Your guns are being registered in Texas without your knowledge. Find out about the secret gun registry 
that is happening in Texas. Your county sheriff has a list of your guns, including make, model, serial number. If you purchase two or more handguns in a five-day period this past holiday season. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hello, this is Gerald Darty, and I'm the Precinct 3 County Commissioner here in Travis County, and you're listening to Come and Talk It. to come and talk it and now here's michael cargill all right so we are back and we're talking about the atf doubling down decriminalizing legalizing uh on legalizing marijuana uh, if you you know if you're in one of those states like california uh you're in texas where they're talking about decriminalize decriminalizing marijuana or making it legal if that does happen in those states then you would not be able to purchase a, a handgun or a firearm, period, from an FFL if you are you have a me- medical marijuana card. And that applies to CBD oil, too. Yes. That applies to CBD oil, which is absolutely ridiculous because there's a lot of parents out there that have CBD oil you know, prescriptions with the marijuana card for their three-year-old child, five-year-old child with epilepsy. And... Now they're being banned from being able to buy a firearm, even though they literally don't use marijuana at all. All right. So let me bring Edwin Walker, the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield, to talk to us about. uh, Let's talk about that 4473 form, because, Edwin, this is going to go into effect January 16, um, uh, 2017. And so the FFL dealers actually have to start using this new form. Yeah, it's a week from Monday. Yeah, one week. And the so, funny thing about this, Edwin, is the dealers, none of the dealers in this area actually have uh, the copy of the new form. Well, that's the part that was very interesting on the uh, on the ATF's website is that, um, you know, it says that the, the form that was, I mean, the, uh, uh, the document that's on the website that was last reviewed was reviewed at the end of December. And then it gives conflicting information right at the very front because it specifically says that it is a violation to use the old form after January 16th. But then they say, uh, please note, the revised form is not currently available for either downloading or ordering, and that uh, there was, that dealers were supposed to be delivered their initial packets of forms back in December. And see, what I did was I actually called around to the different dealers. I mean, I checked with the McBrides. I called uh, Storied Firearms. And out of all the dealers I contacted, Lone, uh, Lone Star Gun Range, all the dealers, only one dealer in this area re- received about a packet of like 25 to 50 forms, and that was Storied Firearms, and that's it. So no one else received the new forms yet. And it, it, this goes into effect next Monday, a week from tomorrow. Yeah, so it's going to be very interesting. I mean, is the ATF's position going to be that basically all gun stores shut down on the 16th because they don't have forms? Yeah, 
Okay. I mean, that's their that that's what it says. I, I I can't believe that they would be. But you have to you have to remember it is the government, right? It's federal government, um, not always the most organized uh, uh, entity uh, in existence. And then also, if, and, you, if you use the the electronic form, so if you actually use the electronic version, that has not been updated as well. So I'm I'm curious to see what they're going to do with that because I don't think that is controlled by another dep- another area. So I don't think the left hand is is actually communicating with the right. No, it it all seems quite ridiculous. And what the only thing we can hope is that you know there's not going to be good dealers or purchasers uh, that wind up getting you know screwed over by this uh, inept uh, the the inept implement. Impl- implementation of this new form okay so now let's go over this new form so the new 4473 so starting january 16 when you walk into your local gun store to purchase a a firearm you know whether it's a handgun a long gun uh the new form that you're going to have to fill out so anyone's going to go over the actual different changes well there you know there are quite a few changes um just some of them seem very, very benign. They're just reorganizing. I guess they're doing it because it assists in their data collection. Uh, one of the interesting things uh, right off the bat is that for some reason they've changed um, gender to sex. And it's kind of funny, you know, trying to uh, uh, speculate as to what sort of behind the scenes uh, political tiptoeing. Uh, resulted in that change. We're, yeah, we were talking uh, about that earlier because you were asking, you know, hey, they don't have a T, man. That's wrong. No transgender? No trannies allowed, apparently. <laughs> or other. That's, well, I think that's what, and, and back, I think Where's Obama? the old forms, I think that the old forms used to say sex, and then everybody got weirded out by the word sex, and so they were like, okay, well, you know, in order to make sure that it's not about any kind of, you know, orientations or anything, we'll just put gender. And now uh, they're having to go backwards, uh, I believe, uh, you know, like I said, purely speculation, uh, so that they would not have to deal with any of the uh, gender identity issues. And I've actually uh, had someone, I've actually had a person check both boxes. Well, you know, and the thing about is all this information is so specific. Uh, one of the most humorous <laughs> things that I found about uh, that I saw was in the, the, how they questioned, how they revised, uh, well, how they got more specific about the information that was required in question number one, where if somebody really does only have an initial for a, for a name, that you now have to specify that that is, that you did not just, randomly initialize it that it is in fact uh, an initial only middle name right so i mean if they're going to get so hyper technical that that if you fill out the form and say john w smith that you now have to say hey w is an initial only uh then i can just imagine what somebody coming in and checking both boxes would do to their whole system well it, it makes it really hard on the ffl because now when you're reviewing these forms you got to check all this stuff you know for errors and it makes it very yeah. difficult because they actually ping you on this stuff when they come to inspect you. Yeah, it is ridiculous. And like I said, I think that, that a lot of these changes, you know, it's going to be – some of them are, are sort of strange and they've added new things. Um, one of the things that I thought was curious, and, and I may just be ignorant about this, and you can answer this, Mike, but um, previously couldn't an FFL – 
pretty much, I guess, conduct a transaction really anywhere where they where they you know just just as long as they got somebody to fill out the the form that they could go ahead and conduct the transaction. Well, because now it seems that uh, an FFL is specifically limited only to their approved premises or a gun show, and right. not just any gun show, but a gun show that specifically meets the definition that they have now included in the instructions. Correct, correct. Yeah, and that's, that's how it's been for quite a while now. So you, you, can only, you can only do that transaction, either the address of what's on your FFL or, you know, at the gun show, that's an approved gun show. Yeah, and I well, I thought it was strange that they they put down there that they you know that they actually felt the need to include a definition of gun show. I don't know if that was if there's some sort of motivation behind that to uh, try to uh, I guess embolden cities that have tried to put in regulations that limit gun shows or restrict gun shows or the types of folks who can sponsor gun shows. Mm, okay. Those sorts of things. Um, and there was, uh, I, I know y'all were, it sounded like y'all were earlier talking about the whole marijuana restriction. Now that yeah. they've gone and put on the form that, uh, that, uh, and, and where, where do you think that, some st- where do you think that actually came from? Because that there's a court case surrounding that, isn't it? Well, there was a request for clarification last year about is somebody an unlawful user? Because, yeah, that's the question. Are you an unlawful user of marijuana? Well, if state law says that you're not unlawful, if you use it, then you're no longer an unlawful user. Hmm. You're just having to be a user of marijuana. But uh, then, so they had to specify, no, federal government says, regardless, you're still an unlawful user of marijuana, if you, even if your state has legalized it. Um, and that actually kind of um, <clears throat> brings up sort of, uh, commerce clause issues. What do you mean? Um, you know, te- well, technically, the marijuana law, the national, mar- the federal marijuana law, uh, only criminalizes marijuana that is that is regulated through the laws regulating interstate commerce. And so, if the federal government comes in and says, "No, we can regulate the person who grows it in their house for their own recreational use," and that's not a violation of state law. However, the feds could come still knock down their door, uh, gather up their marijuana plants, and uh, and then prosecute them for it, uh, then that, I think that that has interstate commerce clause ramifications. Does the federal government have the power to regulate that that does not affect interstate commerce? Um, because clearly, if you grow it yourself and you smoke it yourself and you're the sole consumer, then you're not affecting interstate commerce, uh, especially when the interstate commerce of marijuana is supposed to be illegal anyway. And then we, so we, therefore, the marijuana that you smoke in your house, that you grow and smoke in your own house, would seem to be solely an issue for state law enforcement, which means that if your state has said, hey, it's legal to do that, then you're no longer an illegal user of marijuana. So you think it's it's wrong for the for them to have that in 11E? Yes, I think it is. Um, and Adam but, Adam Raposa, who's an attorney here in, in Austin, a DWI attorney, was actually saying he was nodding. You know, you're, you're nodding, saying, "Yeah." Well, certainly the laws that uh, the federal government is enforcing is always going to involve the sale of 
narcotics, cocaine, you know, methamphetamines, whatever it is, and these conspiracies that cross state lines. So absolutely, the question that he brings up is valid, uh, and it's the same problem that all of us practitioners have, which is, yeah, 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 sure, you can be right, but what judge is going to say, okay, you're right, right? When you make that challenge and say, no, 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 this marijuana was all from the state of Texas or it was all from the state of California, but uh, uh, it hasn't invoked any of your federal powers because it is, this could actually be the first time there's a real genuine state's rights concerns Mm. because the reservation of all powers not specifically enumerated is reserved to the states Mm. and states absolutely should have the right and and voters should have the right to say what we want to have criminalized or on the other hand what we want to tax Mm. and the federal government saying no 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 no. there's way too much money in all that for us to give a normal ordinary interpretation to the constitution so you know these judges aren't put there to give power back they're put (laughs) they're put there to take it away (laughs) Yes, that's correct. And the last time that that was done um, was uh, actually in a firearms case. It was a case that uh, that uh, declared unconstitutional the original federal gun-free school zone act law. Uh, in the case, the U.S. v. Lopez, that was back from 1995. Um, the U.S. Supreme Court said this law doesn't is, is not a law regulating interstate commerce or affecting interstate commerce. Therefore. It's an unconstitutional exercise of government power, which was the first case in 50 years that had held such a thing. Now, this case is it, if this case were brought, if there was a California guy who was like, hey, I, grow, I got three plants, I grow it for my own use, I smoke it in my house, and uh, now you're claiming that, that I cannot, that I'm still violating federal law. Um, and therefore, I, I cannot pass a 4473 background check. Um, that is an illegal exor- that that declaration violates the interstate commerce clause. Um, the interesting thing is, is that this case has been litigated before. In fact, it's probably the most famous interstate commerce clause case. It's called Wickard versus Filburn, and basically, it was the same thing. There was a man who grew wheat. Uh, on his own farm, he was like, hey, I grow up for my own consumption. Um, this was back part of the Agricultural Adjustment Act. They were saying, hey, you can't grow wheat. Uh, they came out. They found out he was growing wheat. They said, you know, you're violating federal law. He goes, no, I'm not because I'm I'm growing it for my own purposes, for my own consumption. And the Supreme Court, um, through an exercise of incredible uh, legal uh, intellectual gymnastics, said, aha, uh, just because you're growing it for your own consumption on your own property, you're still affecting interstate commerce because the fact that you're eating your own wheat means that you're not buying wheat through interstate commerce. Mm. And it's the drop-in-the-bucket effect that if all of these other farmers grew wheat for their own uh, personal consumption, that would have a great impact on interstate commerce, and therefore Congress has the power to regulate what you grow on your own land for your own consumption. Yeah. Now. This case has the additional wrinkle that uh, the law has already declared that the interstate commerce of marijuana is illegal. So, therefore, there is no international interstate commerce market for marijuana. All right. We're talking so with uh, Edwin Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Show. We have Adam Raposin inside the studio as well. We're talking about the ATF new 4473 that goes into effect January 16, 2017. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It.
This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. We're talking all things firearms. Now, here's Michael Cargill. Now it's time for GGN, Global Gun News. Global Gun News, sponsored by Central Texas Gunworks, the largest online gun store in Texas. In the news, lawmakers push for less gun-free zones. In this upcoming session, House Bill 560, which was written to expand the places LTC holders are able to bear arms detailed in the Texas Penal Code 10.06 and Section 46.03, is coming to Texas legislators. Representative Springer introduced the bill back in December for the 85th legislature. He has also introduced other bills in the past, including HB 698 in 2013, which would require fingerprinting facilities to be within 25 miles of licensed applicants or another bill similar to HB 560 in last year's legislative session. The NRA, the Texas Firearms Coalition, as well as the TSRA, have backed Rep Springer due to his staunch 2A bills introduced in the past few years. And this bill is no different. The bill would loosen the restrictions on those licensed to carry by allowing them to carry in amusement parks. Yay! Hospitals! and all government property while protecting the right for private businesses and private property to prohibit anyone from carrying while on the premises. It also reduces the offense of open carrying without a belt or shoulder holster from a Class A to a Class C. According to Newsline, Rep. Springer aims to rid Texas of all gun-free zones, and this bill would just be the start. Californians buying up bullet-button guns. The slew of California's legal stipulations surrounding firearms and ammunition is known to be the cause for the creation of the creative bullet-button solution. The law that effectively contributed to the invention of the bullet-button product was originally written to restrict gun manufacturers and firearms owners by requiring a tool be used to remove a magazine from a described assault weapon. The bullet button device was created by Darren Prince of bulletbutton.com after it was legislated that a bullet could be considered a tool, therefore you could use it to remove the magazine. Last July, however, Governor Brown of California signed into law a bill that would restrict the sale of any so-called assault weapons with a bullet button, which was implemented January 1st this past week, but weapons sold after that date would be so far grandfathered in. After the news of such a ban was heading toward Californians, sales of these weapons shot up, reaching stats of over 300% when compared to last year's numbers of the same time period. 260,000 rifles have been sold since July 1st of last year. Here's an account of the type of customers one gun store owner is seeing purchase the now restricted weapons. A lot of females. We had this lady who came in and she bought, she had three daughters and herself. She bought one for each of the kids and one for herself. Chicago's problems in the last year. Chirac continues to hold its record as one of the most violent cities in our country moving into 2017. Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson still has a lot to deal with in his city, especially in regards to violence and crime. 
2016 held the highest stats of homicide in the past 20 years for Chicago, totaling in at a whole grand total of 762. Yes, 762 murders in Chicago alone. New York and L.A. had a total of 628 homicide incidents combined in 2016, which, of course, is still less than Obama's hometown. Mayor Rahm Emanuel and Superintendent Johnson have announced some policy reforms after the police department was investigated by the Department of Justice for civil rights violations. The superintendent has stated in an interview with Chicago Tonight that he believes criminals with multiple crimes need to have longer sentences and it is apparently working with legislatures on a bill that would accomplish just that. New tech will be added to the department that will help monitor activity in high crime areas, including more cameras and the shot spotter system, which identifies and tracks gunfire. The violence started out bad enough. Within the first hour of the new year, two people were killed in a drive-by. Then just a few days later, a video has now become national news was released on Facebook Live of a mentally handicapped young man who was kidnapped and tortured by two men and two women while they yelled, F white people and F Trump. Fill in the blanks, people. Who has since been arrested and charged despite the mainstream media's attempts to empathize with their actions? Self-defense incident in Georgia. After an attempted convenience store robbery, a clerk and five patrons of the store are safe and a robber is dead. Just a few days before the new year, a group of armed thugs attempted to rob a convenience store in Cartersville, Georgia, and barely left with their lives. A group of five people were said to be in the back room of the store playing video games when the incident began. The clerk took his position behind a door that led into the back room. As he tried to stop the suspects from entering, they tried to force their way in and began shooting, and that's when the armed clerk took out his own gun and fired back, hitting one of the criminals. As the injured attacker lay on the ground, his accomplices escaped, fleeing the scene in a dark, late-model SUV and are still on the loose. While the injured armed robber died from the altercation, none of the patrons nor the clerk were hurt during the attack. The anonymous clerk had this to say about the incident. Tough decision. Yeah. God bless his soul. And this has been your global gun news for this week. Now back to Michael Cargill in the studio. David had a question. Well, you, you had something about this uh, shooting in uh, the Fort Lauderdale airport. Well, yeah, in, in Florida, you know. My problem is, is this guy did everything right. It was kind of weird. He only you know, checked a gun, but he checked the gun, got on the plane, flew all the way there. At baggage claim is where he picked it up, where he legally could pick it up, and then went into the bathroom, loaded it, walked out, and started shooting everybody. And my problem is, is I just see the feds, or Obama, with his pen and phone saying, hey, I'm going to go ahead and make this to where guns can't be traveled through airports at all. So if you're going to go to Georgia to see your your, your folks you're not going to be able to check your firearm anymore because now you could uncheck it and go and shoot people, which no, you could I, still go into an airport and shoot people if you wanted to, but Obama likes his you know executive orders, and 
I could just see him being overzealous in his last few days and trying to do something stupid. I, I think what we what we should do. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, one thing is if you can't, well, wouldn't that affect, um, you know, like FedEx and UPS of and course. gun manufacturers in well, that you can't check ship it through there so everything has to go through ground? Mm. Well, that's why people are kind of worried about all it. All kinds of stuff. Now, I mean, you got to think SHOT Show's coming up in, what, a few weeks? Ooh, yeah. 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 So if Obama did something stupid and made it to where you couldn't travel, air travel, with your firearms, well, now everybody from... Well, everywhere is going to have to go to Las Vegas by driving, and that makes a whole lot of sense driving to Vegas. I don't. I don't think you could do that through executive uh, through an executive order. That's not. I think executive orders are just limited to acts of federal agencies uh, and federal contractors, and so anything like that would either have to be the product of a revision to the U.S. Code, which would take an act of Congress, yeah, uh, or. Um, an FFA regulation, which would be at least a year out and could be stopped at any time. Okay, well that's good. Okay, oh, yeah, that yeah that's good. And that's what I was. That's what I was thinking there. I was like, man, that's that could be something drastic. And and honestly, I can see them maybe coming out and saying, okay, well, ammunition. You know, we're not going to allow ammunition on the. You know, you to check ammunition at all. So, but I I would well, well, I, I hope they wouldn't do that about- either. One of the interesting things about picking Florida is that Florida law, as as Florida has some great firearms laws. I mean, they well or lack of firearms laws. They 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 really are a very very firearm friendly state, except for a couple of very interesting little quirks. Obviously, it's one of the few states that doesn't allow, you know, like Texas was last year or the year before last. Uh, they don't allow open carry of any kind by anybody. Um, and also, they have they they very poorly wrote their firearms airport exclusion. Uh, unlike Texas, which is very clear, uh, you know they're only prohibited in the secured part of the airport. Uh, Florida wrote it so that the entirety of the airport is a prohibited place. So uh, so the so you're not even you know under Florida law you're committing a violation if you even go to the baggage claim area. Uh, because they said airport terminal, the entire terminal, even the secured and unsecured areas. So it was kind of weird that the, I'm sure that the shooter did not know the specificities of Florida law, but it is kind of ironic that he picked one of the very few states uh, that says that that uh, firearms are prohibited from the entire terminal, unless, of course, they're packaged you know, for checked baggage travel purposes. At the end of the day, the firearm charges are the least of his worries, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, to, to think that creating one more law or, or that even prevented or would have stopped anybody is ridiculous, because if, you're, if no, you've got okay. it in your mind that you're going you're gonna to go massacre a bunch of people, the last thing you care about is what the laws are. Correct. And I think that that, 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 that specific point greatly illustrates that. That's that, probably why he uh, chose look, Florida. Florida with Florida, for whatever reason, whether they intentionally did it or unintentionally, Florida is one of the very is one of the few states that says the entire terminal is off limits. However, is in the, the entire terminal is a gun free zone. Uh, but as we have seen, uh, both um, you know the, those laws saying "aha, we've got a gun free zone." Uh, did absolutely nothing to prevent this shooting. And when he's finally charged, do you think there's going to be any firearm law or firearm charges that he's actually going to get charged for? Because I don't think so. No, 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 no. They'll, they'll, they, they will probably add it on exactly. there just because they like to include as many counts as possible. 
But no, it's not going to it's not going to be significant in his subsequent prosecution. So again, it's just pointless. The law is pointless. Yes, I agree with that. I think the tone, uh, what should come from the administration, if they make any statements at all, it should be that what we need to do is say, look, you know, we have veterans that uh, we have a veteran here that's been asking for help, and he reached out to several people and asked for help. He went to the FBI and asked for help. Said he was hearing voices. His family members knew that he was he needed help and was hearing voices. Uh, this is this is a perfect example of where the VA, you know, that VA system is actually failed our veterans. You know, we're talking about people that we have asked to go do a, a job, you know, that some of us cannot do. You know, some were afraid to do, you know, or just not capable of doing, not old enough to do or whatever. And now they've come back. They have issues. And this guy's asking for help. And no one gave him that help. And this is, you know, I, I put this on the VA, you know, and that, and that entire system is just not being helped at all. And that's just me. Hey, I, I can't disagree with that one. <laughs> VA sucks. <laughs> I could agree. <laughs> all right. So um, let's see. So, Edwin, so let's, let's change gears a little bit and let's talk about the multiple sales. Uh, because a lot of people did not know that your chief law enforcement officer in the county actually received that multiple cell transaction form for two handguns or more in a five-day period? Well, um, you know, that if they don't, if they didn't know it, then they you know, should know it now. It's just <laughs> another way of, it's just another way that the, the, you know, the federal government is trying to involve local law enforcement. Um, what is going to be, you know, what could be interesting is, of course, you know, there's a bill that's going to be pending in the upcoming legislative session. Uh, that says that, uh, you know, that says the local authorities are going to be prevented from cooperating with the feds mm. in the enforcement of any kind of firearms regulations. And it would be interesting if uh, if the law would be so interpreted that that sort of that sort of activity would be prevented as well. Yeah. The accumulation of that information. Yeah, because I, you know, I, I, and when people walk into the shop, you know, and they they try to ask that question, like, look, I can't give you any information about multiple sales or anything like that, you know, because you're doing a transaction here. I can't tell you that information. If you're in the classroom and teaching a class, I can tell you there, but inside the gun store, we, I can't give you any information that that can be, you know, obstructing justice. So you walk in, you know, I I can't tell you that I'm filling out this multiple sale transaction form on you and turn it into the Knicks. Uh, sending it into the FBI and sharing it with the, you know, the Travis County Sheriff. So does that stay forever? I mean, is that is that list a, a permanent list or is it for one year like some of the lists are and whatnot? Here's well, they're supposed to destroy it after so many days. Uh, the the chief law enforcement officer, so they're supposed to get rid of that. They won't but, get around to it. <laughs> but what happens is when people get pulled over, that information is in a database. There's no system that goes back and says, "Hey." As a chief law enforcement officer, you're not following, you know, federal guidelines. You know, we're going to punish you for that. They don't do that. Yeah. So there's nothing that really goes back and, and says, hey, sheriff, you know, you've been holding on to this information. You have it in a database. So when people are pulled over, you're pulling up a whole list of the guns that they purchased in this county. And that actually happens here in Travis County, just so you know. Um, I want to say the same thing. Is uh, I had a friend, an officer buddy out in Bryan College Station, and he went to go buy two guns as gifts, you know, to give for Christmas. And... And they only had one, but I told him, "Well, hey, at least you're not on the list." And he's like, "What list?" So even so, even our op- some officers are like completely clueless; they don't even know that it exists till I explained it. 
Yeah. yeah, you know the gift thing. Um, getting back to the to the additions to the forty four seventy three, one of the good things that came about this was their expanded definition of uh, of a, a clarification in eleven a that um, you know you are allowed, in fact, to buy a gun as a gift. Uh, because we get that question a lot at our office, you know, especially Christmas. In fact, I think we actually did a newsletter about it. Can you give a gun as a gift? And uh, a lot of people were very, very concerned that they would be violating 11A or that they were so weird about going into a gun store and saying, hey, I want to buy a gift for my wife, and then, you know, being accused of being a straw purchaser, that it's good to see the ATF actually clarifying something that uh, that is designed not to get people in trouble. Uh, by saying, you know, don't don't worry, slow your roll a little bit. It's it's okay. You can still buy guns as gifts. Uh, you just can't do it whenever there's you know some sort of exchange. And hopefully they would never ever interpret the fact that you're getting a gift back in exchange as a, some sort of remuneration uh, for giving somebody a gift. But that was sort of a welcome addition to the forum. Yeah, that's a, that's a big iffy situation there altogether. Um, you know, whether you're you know, doing something illegal. Uh, on that side of the house, yeah, well, certainly it, it was not helped by you know the the case several years ago um, uh, where uh, uh, where the Supreme Court upheld the straw purchaser law. Uh, whenever the argument was, I couldn't have been a straw purchaser because uh, I was just helping my you know I was just helping my father in law out because I could get a better deal. He's mm. completely qualified to purchase a firearm. I was not doing it to circumvent the fact that he couldn't buy a firearm. I was just getting him a better deal. And the Supreme Court said, nope, still straw purchase. Doesn't matter if the person you're purchasing for is, in fact, qualified. Uh, you cannot use somebody else's money to buy a firearm. And see, the people in the anti-gun community don't know how really difficult this really is. You know, let's say, say I want to buy a car. You could step in and say, well, you know what? I'm going to go. I'll go for you. I'll go down there and, and, and negotiate, you know, buying that car and, and putting down the money for it and give you the money for your down payment and all that stuff. You can't do that for a firearm, you know, because that, 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 all that stuff can be considered a straw purchase. That's correct. It's interesting, guys. A lot of crossover with that retention of data issue that you're speaking of, because that is something that we have here in Austin with the Fusion Center. And a lot of considerations have gone into exactly what you're talking about, which is federal mandates to store this data, which then has to be purged. It doesn't auto purge. It has to be purged. And we're, of course, trusting that these things get done. But it's always much nicer to just not have to be in a position where you have to trust the government. And see, this is the information that is actually in the fusion centers. And Correct. it's going to stay there. Unless it gets purged, which they've promised, Michael. They've promised that they will do that. And there's no way we can go back and check and see if Correct. it's been purged. Don't you trust? No. Don't you no. trust APD in their crime lab? <laughs> I mean, come on now. APD never screws up. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Have y'all, hired, have y'all hired a new chief yet? Uh, no, we still have uh, our interim chief. <laughs> How's Art working out over in Houston? Yeah, so how's he doing in Houston? I see, I see him on the news quite a bit. He's talking a lot about weed. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's just making the rounds. We'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, of course, he got a lot on his plate with the Super Bowl coming. And uh, oh, that's month. right, the Super Bowl is going to be in Houston. Oh wow! Oh my goodness! Stay are the be... hell away from there, man. Agreed. <laughs> right. A field day for the criminals. <laughs> it might be a, it might be an all Texas Super Bowl, Cowboys versus Texans, Texans at Reliance Stadium. So it's going to be Cowboys and Texans, you think? 
Maybe we might do. <laughs> See if we can't divide the state more. Oh my god! <laughs> if the Texans, if the Texans get a few lucky calls in uh, Boston next week. No. Yeah, I can't see the Texans going anywhere. They're not qualified. They're not, you know, they're not in a position to do Wait, it. so you're saying Texans aren't qualified? <laughs> uh, uh, the Cowboys okay. are qualified. Let's get it right. The Cowboys are qualified. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just not a Texan, a Houston Texans fan. Haven't been. Sorry, uh, sorry, uh, Edwin. I apologize. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're talking with Edwin Walker. We have Adam Raposa, also an attorney here in Austin, Texas, and we're talking about these uh, new changes uh, the, to the uh, 4473 form and some other things. Uh, this is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Doug DuBois, Jr., Executive Director of the Texas State Rifle Association. You're listening to Michael Cargill and Come and Talk It Radio. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. I tell you, we can't always get what we want, but you know what? We're going to try. So we're going to work with the Texas legislature this session, starting January the 10th, going all the way down to June. We're going to try to get rid of some of these uh, draconian gun laws that are being forced down our throats by the uh, federal government. We're going to work hard. We're going to work with our legislature. We're going to push them to do the right thing and to do what they're supposed to do. Um, So, Edwin, let me ask you about uh, the manufacturers. Yeah, when you're a manufacturer, you have an 07 FFL, you're a manufacturer, you actually don't have to report the long gun sales. And when it comes to, you know, the multiple reporting, strip law receivers, no one has to report those. You don't have to report the strip law receivers and you don't have to report complete uh, receivers, complete law receivers, just complete, you know, rifles. That's kind of weird in the law. Edwin, you there? Yes, yes, okay. I'm here. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, that's kind of well, weird in the law there. Well, interestingly enough, there is a warning on the new form uh, that, um, Didn't see that you know frames and receivers are considered firearms, and if you uh, you know if you actually engage in uh, selling you know frames and receivers uh, for any sort of livelihood or profit, you've got to be a licensed dealer. So yeah, that's because uh, I guess a lot of people were actually purchasing a bunch of strip law receivers and complete receivers, uh, complete lures. When the shortage was going around, and so they got into that business of you know selling their lower receiver there, and and I warn people if you're doing it for profit, because that's a fine line. When you look on the back of the form, you look at the instructions, it's a really fine line of you know what is dealing. Yes, and they've attempted to clarify that uh, by pointing that out, by putting that on the form uh, that you know if you're doing it for profit or livelihood, then you are a dealer, and you are. Um, you know, you're you got to have a license to do that. You know where that's located uh, on the form, on the new one. I believe it said, um, oh heck, we got six pages of new changes here. So, where I read that? I read that. Yeah, we definitely come up with that later. So I like, yeah, that's definitely check that out. So. But it was on there. Yeah, because I see the change of the qualifying gun show event. See that man, it's a it's a lot of stuff, a lot of little things, little things that really get you in trouble. Um, 
that people are going to pay well, close and, attention and to? Like I said, a lot of these, I believe, are um, you know done. Maybe they're doing it just to for job security purposes. Hey, it's time to revise form. It's been you know six four years since form was revised. We got to revise form. Uh, so I don't I don't know that oh, so okay. many of them are are. Uh, you know, going to going to affect many transactions. Okay, we found that it's in uh, section. They may be doing it to streamline data, streamline data purposes. It's in section B under question sixteen, the instructions for question sixteen, that second paragraph. If a frame or receiver can only be made into a long gun, rifle, or shotgun, it is still a frame or receiver, or not a handgun or long gun. However, frames and receivers are still firearms by definition, by subject of the same. Is that what you're talking about? What's that? Oh, I knew I should have had my highlighter out. No, 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 no worries. And then something totally different because I'm going to totally mess you up. Uh, the qualifying restraining orders. What is up with that? They made some changes there? Well, I don't know that they made changes. I think they're just simply trying to to clarify things. Okay. Uh, because, like I said, these are anything that... Anything that's disqualifying has to be in the U.S. code, and that would require a change in the law. And the law hasn't been changed. I think what they're doing is that they're just trying to clarify uh, what is and isn't interpreted as a uh, as a as a qualifying restraining order. Right. And that's a restraining order that heck, there's um, you know one thing that we always warn people about is the standard boilerplate Texas restraining order that's contained in the family code uh, is a qualified restraining order. So even though it's very generic, it's given out in every divorce proceeding, uh, it's rarely questioned by the family by the uh, family lawyers, it just goes in there. But technically, it actually meets the definition of a qualified restraining order because they have an opportunity, they're represented, you know, they have an opportunity to be represented by a lawyer, it's a hearing where both parties are present or are given notice that they can be present. It's rendered by a judge, and it prevents acts of family violence. And so, therefore, if somebody's just got a boilerplate temporary restraining order in their divorce, they uh, cannot purchase a handgun. They, I mean, they can't purchase any firearm because they're under this order. So we talk to people all the time about that. Look, if you're going through a divorce... Be sure your family lawyer knows this and specifically request the judge to pull this language out uh, because it can have an impact on your firearms rights. Yeah, people are just not aware of a lot of different things that are out there. Uh, and, and, and I tell people, you need to get yourself a good attorney, one that, you know, especially one that knows the, you know, the firearm stuff as well when you're dealing with a lot of things because you can lose your rights. And it, it's it's scary. And yes, that restraining order one was one that was particularly uh, was particularly troublesome um, it, because it's just because it is so nefarious and and uh, of course the poster child for that uh, was Dr. Emerson who uh, you know his case is is almost twenty years old now and uh, he was caught up in that right after that law was passed uh, and he lost everything. Literally lost everything, and it's all because there was a family court order that said, uh, even in the absence of a finding that there was ever any acts of family violence, but because the court said, well, hmm, yeah, don't don't commit acts of family violence, 
that was a qualifying order and caused his possession to of his firearms to then become a federal violation of a federal crime. Oh wow! And then Adam, you're 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 nodding. No, that is um, a large intersection of the family code and the move towards you know getting a hold on family violence for the past 30 years, but absolutely um, with protective orders, with temporary restraining orders, uh, that all of these orders can limit your uh, right to possess a gun under uh, federal law and that it happens however many times a year and nothing ever gets said. But when they want to say something about it, now you have a way to construct a case. And that is, like I was saying, why the job they are doing is so important, because you do need to get rid of some of these bad laws that are arcane, never enforced, unless they just happen to want to make a target out of you. And then, well, let's just find some way to you know, concoct some scheme. And that is exactly it. It was never intended by a judge to uh, create liability. There was never any uh, uh, a warning given to somebody. Oh, by the way, if you possess a gun, you could go to the federal pen. None of that ever happens. But certainly notwithstanding, well, it is a uh, uh, an order and that the order did uh, uh, prohibit and that you did then go and intentionally possess. And that is a violation of the law. We're real sorry that, uh, you know, it's you're getting singled out here, but that's not going to get in the way of a good prosecution. Wow. All right. Yeah, and that's the and that's the, ridic- the 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 part of that that really really is troublesome to me and really rubs me the wrong way is that the law does not require that there is any showing that family violence has occurred or the threat of family violence exists. Just the fact that the order exists, that's all that's required, and the order can exist in the absence of any of those showings. So that that's the part where the law was, was very, very poorly drafted. Um, it's way, it's too overbroad, but it's been upheld as constitutional. It was upheld as constitutional by, by our very own uh, United States Fifth Circuit. So if they're going to uphold it as constitutional, then you know there's no way any other circuit's going to declare it unconstitutional. So the only way to fix it is to change the law. But yet, if any congressman even undertakes to try to attempt to change the law, uh, it's going to be all over CNN and all over the New York Times that Congressman so-and-so uh, really loves family violence and wants abusers to have guns. Mm. And that would be their, their, their campaign commercial to get them unelected. Correct. All right. Man, I tell you what, uh, thank you, uh, Edwin, for coming on and talking to us. Really appreciate that. Uh, thank you, Adam, sure. Adam Raposa, for sitting inside the studio. Got to get you back in and, and talk to you about some other stuff that's going on here locally in Austin. All right, Austin, Texas, and those listening throughout the Internet, the first week of 2017 is over. Done. Gone. What did you do? What did you accomplish? 51 more weeks to go before another year comes around again, and that's all. Every day could be a fight for what you want. Quantify your year, and you'll find out exactly how many opportunities you have to change it. That's why the Second Amendment is important, because life is important and valuable. If you're passionate about life, you're passionate about conserving and protecting it, and guess what? You can't do that without adequate means. Will 2017 be the year you create yourself? The year you start or continue or finish that project. Reach that goal. Start that business. Or crush that limit. Maybe this year 
will be the year we finally focus on helping our vets. Maybe with medicinal marijuana or maybe with the VA clinic so another veteran doesn't kill themselves because they have no avenue to get help. Or in the worst, most extreme cases, they don't lash out at the public and in the lives of their fellow Americans, like in Fort Lauderdale or Fort Hood. So we're going to end today's show on a question, a question for you to think about for the rest of the week. What are you doing for your fellow human beings? Small actions can have a big impact. And as always, remember, more guns equals less crime. Go ahead and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.